Let's go and open a prayer, and then we'll start. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for this day of worship and fantastic time we've had in worship. And we ask you just to bless us as we open your word and see what you would have us to see from your word. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to continue in Colossians chapter 1. We're still in this one long sentence that we've been on for three weeks from Paul. <laughs> so we're going to read the sentence in context so we get where we're at, starting at verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease pray to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the, the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, be, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, and all patience and long suffering and joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us met to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into his kingdom, into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that we, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. All right, so this has been our long sentence from Paul that we've been reading for the last three weeks. You know, how would you like to be in Paul's church? You know, this, was just, this was just something basic to him, and he's throwing out a huge long sentence. We've been taking three weeks to go over what he just throws out there as a, as a quick, easy thing for you to know. <laughs> so we've been talking, we started out about how, how he was praying for them to be filled with all wisdom and understanding. We talked about how we are to walk worthy and, and have fruit. We talked about last week how to be, that we are to be strengthened with all might, and that's his might, and his glorious power to patience. And today we're going to look at giving thanks unto the Father which has made us met to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. You know, this is kind of interesting. He gives thanks. How many times do we forget to give thanks to God for the many blessings he gives us? It is so easy. And I've already told us several times, we need to be careful when we get used to his blessings, that we stay thankful for his blessings. Otherwise, he may just take his blessings away and show us that we're being blessed. And Paul is saying, you know, we're giving thanks, or he's giving thanks unto the Father. Why? Because he has made us met to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. Met. This is kind of an interesting word. He has rendered us able to do this. You know, how many times do we as Christians kind of start thinking, you know, God, it's all up to what I do. God, uh, you know, I deserve these things because I have been serving you and you deserve, you know, I deserve these blessings. Now, the sad thing is, we don't, we, number one, we can't do anything unless he strengthens us to do it in the first place. And if we're doing it in our own strength, Isaiah tells us that it's filthy rags. So when we think that we deserve something from God, we've deceived ourselves. We're not following the God of the Bible. Now, he does say, go out and work, do, you do these things. But, you know, without him, we're not going to be able to do anything. Without God, I can do nothing. You know, I may think it's me. Maybe, maybe you've been walking with God for so long, somehow you think it's you, but it's him that's in you. 
You know, I've met people like that, you know, going, hold it, no, it's the God in you that you're doing anything. Can you remember sometime when God's asked you to do something that terrified you because it's the first time you ever did it? I think back to witnessing. That was kind of an interesting experience, learning to witness. God, I don't know a whole lot of stuff. How can I answer these people? What can I say? How can I do this? And God says, I'll fill your mouth. You know, it's an amazing thing. You look at Peter on the day of Pentecost. He's only 50 days away from having denied Je even knowing Jesus. And he's giving one of the most powerful messages recorded in the scriptures. And 3,000 people get saved. Peter and John go to pray and they, they witness to, they take the uh, man that's asking for alms and he, they say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And then they get in trouble because they, you know, the temple because they, they healed him. <laughs> you know, well, well, who gave you the power to do this? That was one of their favorite questions. Who gave you the power to do this? God did. <laughs> now, if you're ever asked, if you're doing something for God and you're ever asked, who gave you the authority and power to do it? You tell them God did. Yeah. What did Jesus say when the disciples came? Go, Jesus, there's guys over here teaching in your name and, you know, shall we stop them? No, let it, if they're not, they're not against us, they're for us, let, leave them alone. Were they giving the best message? Probably not if they weren't with Jesus. But they were willing to stand up and, and serve God. The amazing thing to me over the 40 years plus that I've been walking with God is to watch who God uses to minister. You know, you know this person, you know that they're really not that great at talking, and yet God puts them in front of a class. Puts them out in witnessing, you know, as one of the best witnesses out there that, on the street that you've ever seen. Never, ever believe that you do not know enough, you're not able to do anything for God. Because in one sense you're right, but God in you can do anything. And this is what Paul is saying. He makes you able to. He renders you full. He equips us with adequate power to serve him. All you've got to do is be willing. We did the evangelism class. And one thing I found when you go out and you witness to people, it's amazing how sometimes you're saying things that you didn't even know you knew. Yeah. It's kind of amazing sometimes. You open your mouth, you start talking, and all of a sudden it's not you talking, it's the Holy Spirit coming out of you. Yeah. And there's been many times where I sit back and go, wow, that's a wonderful message. God, I, you know, it's my voice saying it, but it's not me. It's a wonderful time witnessing to people, and it's not me talking. Why? Because we are filled with God. He changes who we are. How do we start walking a better Christian life? He comes into us, changes who we are. Have you ever looked back on your life and said, you know, man, I used to love doing this, and now I don't even want to do it. And you don't have a conscious decision of having ever made, I've got to stop doing this. It's just God changed you. Hopefully you find in this as you read his word. You want to read his word. The song we sing, I'm desperate for you. How long can you go without spending time with God? This is a question I want people to think about. Can you go minutes, hours, days, weeks, months? We have some people who come once a year. I guess they, can, they need God once a year. I need God all the time. How long can you go without getting into his word, without listening to some, some teacher, without spending time thinking about God? It's definitely an indication of where you are with God. 
know, how hungry do you get? You know, I've challenged people, well, I only come to church once a week. I only open my Bible once a week. I go, okay, go, go out there and just eat once a week. And a matter of fact, on the day you're eating, you can't eat three meals. You can still only eat one because that's all you're doing spiritually. God is the one who does it. And Paul's saying he has made us met to be partakers of the inheritance. What inheritance? We're God's children. We are inheriting all that God has. I want that to sink in for a moment. How much do we really do for God? How much do we believe God can do through us? In, in Matthew on, on Thursday night, we studied the verse that God says that you have just the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And I told him in the day, I've never had the need to move a mountain, but it could be kind of interesting that, you know, he has that much power, he can move the mountains. In the book of Revelation, it says all the mountains are going to fall before the end. The earthquake or whatever, that is going to shake everything and everything's going to fall. And I believe that he means all the mountains are going to fall. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said it. And you all know that I believe that the Bible is literal in most cases. There are places where it's obviously figuratively. When it says God has feathers and he wants to wrap his wings around, around us, I don't believe that God's a great big bird up there. I believe he's, that's a figurative, poetic language that God is saying, I want to love you like the birds will guard their children. That's how I want to take you. There are figurative things in the Bible, but you know where it can be taken literally? We need to take it literally. It is a literal book. How many people have you ever heard, and I've, I don't know about you, but I've heard lots of different pastors over my lifetime. And I've heard some pastors turn everything into figures of speech and spiritualize everything. And once you start doing that, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. And that's not proper interpretation of the word of God. We are partakers of the inheritance. If we really understood the power that's available to us, and I, only, and I only know a small part of that bit of our power, but you know, if we really started understanding, we are inheriting, we inherit everything that God has. He's created the world. Now, we don't get the literal power to do this, but we have the person who can give us all this. And I've told you the story. I love it in, in Dallas Seminary. When they were first starting, the guys were getting praying together because they were having a real hard time when they were going, God, we know you own the cattle on a thousand hill. Could you sell some of the cattle and, and give us the money? And while they're praying, the secretary knocks on the door and they go, well, we're busy praying. They go, well, this guy insists he's got to come and see you. And it was a rancher coming in, and he says, I just sold a whole bunch of cattle, and I want to give the money to the church, <laughs> or the seminary. Now, that's a pretty literal <laughs> uh, answer to the prayer. They were praying, you know, figuratively, and he got a literal answer. But, you know, we need to keep in mind, our God is powerful. He created the heavens and the earth, and, you know, he did it pretty slowly. He did it in seven days. <laughs> you know, have you ever thought about that? Why did God take seven days to create everything? You think God got really tired each day? You know, no. He created it so we would have a week. And then he could say, on the seventh day, you rest. If he created it in seven seconds, we'd have to rest every seven seconds. <laughs> the, the picture would have been kind of ruined, wouldn't it? <laughs> so God took a long time, to by his standards, to create this world. Now, we have scientists who want to tell us, well, he needed thousands of years to do it. <laughs> Millions of years to do it. Yeah. No, he didn't need that long. <laughs> he really didn't get that tired. 
Now, we get people also that will tell you, you know, well, maybe it took a thousand, each day was a thousand years. Well, man, that really blows the picture too. Okay, I got to go every, every 6,000 years before I rest. Again, my picture's kind of de destroyed, isn't it? You know, we need to keep in mind the power of our God. He can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. He will never violate his character, but he will do things the way he wants. And it says we are the partakers of that inheritance. Everything that Jesus had at his disposal, we have. You want to see people get healed? Start understanding that if you pray for people, they'll get healed. You want to pray for God's miraculous blessings on your life? Start praying for it. I've already told you, I pray more for others than I do for myself. I, I, I feel funny praying for myself. I have a much easier time praying for others. Now, if I have a real need, I'll pray and ask for God's, God's blessing. But I have seen so many healings in my lifetime from, God, from prayers being answered. I've seen people in the middle of asthma attacks all of a sudden being able to breathe. I've seen you know, all kinds of different things that God has healed people with. He wants to do work through us. And again, we've got to recognize it's him that does it. I have no power to do it. Jesus said he didn't have the power to do it, and even though he did, he, he did it through his Father. What can we do? Oh, man, if we just let God work through us. The words that he'll fill your mouth with. The prayers that will be answered. All the things that you will see from God by just stepping out and saying, God, let this happen. Let this happen. And he will give us the strength, the power. And then it says in verse 13, Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son? Do you realize that we have been delivered from the power of darkness? All of sin, all of this world's power. Satan has no power over us. This world has no power over us. But how many times do we give it power? How many times do we believe that we're defeated? Our flesh gives us a lot of trouble. Now, we've, we've shared this. You know, when, when we sin, we have three issues against us. Our, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, we don't need Satan in the world at all to give us a hard time. We give ourselves a hard time. That's why I love Galatians 2.20. I, for I am crucified with Christ... Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And in the life that I now live, I live according to the faith of Christ Jesus. If I truly understand that, if you truly understand that, you will know that my, your flesh is crucified. Too many times we dig it up and put it back on the throne. Take it down off the cross. And, but God has said, it is crucified. It has no power. Satan likes to convince us that it has power. That he has power over us. But we are God's children. Will we live a perfect life? I wish we would. <laughs> Can we? Theoretically, according to the scripture, we could. If we allowed our flesh to be totally crucified and stay crucified. And stay focused on him. And I'm hoping that as you stand walking with God more and more, you will find more of your flesh crucified. You should be walking in more perfection as time goes on because of the crucifixion of your, your flesh and God taking more and more control of your life. Will we be perfect? No, <laughs> unfortunately. Because what are we told? The heart is deceitfully wicked. 
Who can know it? And it's kind of amazing, we've talked this many times, is how many times do you get a bunch of stuff cleaned out of your life and you go, okay, oh man, God, I've got it. All, all the stuff I've been working on is gone. And then God shines a light in deeper inside of you and go, oh man, it's ugly in there. <laughs> you know, it is ugly in there. You know, you're, you're thinking, well, God, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I tried to tell the truth, I do this, that, and the other things. And then God shines a light a little and says, okay, let's see what your heart really is. What do you want to do? Even though you're not doing it, what do you want to do? Jesus said, if you look at someone with lust, you've committed adultery. If you're angry with a brother without cause, you've committed murder. Man, we start taking it to God's standard. How hard is it for us to go through? Because he takes it to a very high standard. My thoughts. How often have you maybe made this excuse or heard it? Well, I can't control my thoughts. Well, you know what? You're right. You can't control your thoughts per se. But if you fill it with God's thoughts... And this is what your thoughts are going to be all the time? You're going to have a lot less problems. Because what happens? God's thoughts come in. And we've shared with you, we're flesh and blood. Our fleshly thoughts are going to be what pops into our mind first. The question is, how fast do God's thoughts follow on, on it? Jesus said, when you're, if you're struck on the cheek, turn your other cheek. Our flesh would say, you struck me, I'm going to take care of you. <laughs> the question is, does God's thought pop back into your head fast enough to say, okay, I'm going to forgive you and turn the other cheek? Or do you smack the person <laughs> back and think, oh, man, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done that? Or do you smack them and you don't even care? <laughs> you know, this is why we got to get into God's word. His word has to be so strong in us that almost it seems to come at the same time as your flesh's thoughts. When you get angry at somebody and all of a sudden you're going to say, I'm going to forgive you rather than being angry at them. Or I'm going to show God's love to you rather than being angry. Not an easy thing, not, not easy to do, but it can happen if we put in him first. Jesus said, out of the abundance of our heart, we speak. We all know people that are evil and they speak out of the abundance of our heart of their heart. You also know people who seem to be godly people and it seems like most of what they say is a godly saying. They show love. They express love. Where are you on that, on that line? That's for you and God to figure out. I'm not going to try to judge that. But the more you fill your mind with God and your heart, the more you're going to find yourself speaking out what he is. The more he's in you, the more loving you're going to be to people. The more he's in you, the more forgiving you're going to be to people. And you know forgiveness, we've talked so many times about forgiveness. Forgiveness is giving up my right to demand judgment. You know, when you get to the place where somebody hurts you and you say, okay, I'm forgiving you, I'm not even going to expect you to have to pay the price, then you've learned forgiveness. You know, once God forgives us, he does not go back and say, okay, let's see, you've done this 50 times, so now I'm not forgiving you anymore. Now, hopefully you're not one of those people to keep track of those things or remember we all do to some degree. Well, let's see. This person has uh, done this to me so many times, I'm just not going to forgive them anymore. The disciples came to Jesus and go, how many times should we forgive our brother? And Peter was real spiritual. He said, seven times? And Jesus says, no. Seventy times seven, which didn't mean on the 491st time you could <laughs> not forgive him. He was just saying... 
just keep forgiving them. If you're actually counting 490 times to forgive somebody, you've got a real big problem. Uh, but you know, forgiveness. Forgiveness is so important because how many people have been severely hurt in their life from lack of forgiveness? And I hope you don't have anybody that you've not forgiven. You see them coming down the street or you see their name on the phone and go, oh, no, I'm not going to talk to them. I, I'm still mad at them. You know, you know, they're coming down the street. I'm going to walk the other direction. Really bad if they're family members and you go to a family reunion. Or worse yet, what if they're a church member and you hold so much bitterness toward them that you can't even fellowship with God because they're there. That's not where we want to be. We need to learn to forgive. We need to learn to love. I don't know why forgiveness has been the, the key point this last couple of weeks. But, you know, forgiveness is so important. God forgives us. And there's not a punishment when he, once he forgives us because it is already gone in his mind. He's put it away. He's, he's forgiven it. It's repented. It's gone. And then it says, he's... He's delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And that literally means he lifted us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of Christ. Do you realize the power of that? He removes us from one kingdom. This word literally means translate or to um, transpose. It's the same basic word as when the rapture happens and we all of a sudden disappear from this world and the world's probably going to say, thank goodness all those crazy Christians are gone. You know, when I was younger, I always wondered, what, how are they going to explain the missing, million, millions, uh, missing millions of people? And it's, you know, Now that I'm seeing the anger and the bitterness and the resentment towards Christians, they'll probably be celebrating. <laughs> those Christians are gone. All those people that kept making our life miserable are gone. But he says he's moved us from one kingdom into another. We've talked about this so much. You know, we are not subject to the God of this world, which is Satan. Satan is the God of this world. How did he get it? Because Adam and Eve sinned and gave him the power. Jesus on the cross took the deed back of the earth, but hasn't taken the earth back yet. That'll happen at the millennial kingdom. But he takes us and he puts us says, okay, you're no longer under their power. You're in my kingdom. The strange thing that we have about Christianity is the world is going to hate us. Now, if you are standing for Christ, the world is going to hate you. Why? Because you're not like them. <laughs> we take a stand on things. We say that certain things are sin. If we believe God's word and we take a stand on God's word, the world is going to hate us. When we will tell them that, that an abortion is killing a child and that's murder, they're not going to like to hear that. When we tell them that two people living together in fornication is sinning, they're not going to like that. And we can pick any number of these sins and go down the list. When we call what they do a sin, they're not going to like it. When we say that when you don't tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, you're lying... <laughs> They're not going to like it. Because how many, how many times do even us as Christians try to figure out, okay, how much do I have to say before I'm lying? Well, if you're not telling the truth, you're lying. That's what it tells us in Deuteronomy. 
If you're not telling everything you know about the topic, then you've lied. God's standard is high. He doesn't play games. Will we ever be able to live up to God's standard? No. Does that mean we don't try to? No. We need to be trying. He is sanctifying us. When we get saved, he justifies us and says we're perfect. Now, isn't that good news? He says we're perfect. You know, we know we're not. But he says, I've taken you out of your sin. I've, put, I've clothed you with Jesus' righteousness. And what does God see? He sees per, a perfect child. Now, he spends our entire life sanctifying us. And sanctifying is to be made holy, to be made perfect. Good news is, there's going to come a time when he glorifies us and makes us who he said we were in the beginning. When we either die or are raptured, we will be glorified. I'm looking forward to that day of being glorified where I don't have to, don't have to be imperfect anymore. I'm looking forward to that day when it's going to be him and only him. And he's going to make us who he said we were in the beginning. Until then, I'll have to put up with being sanctified for the rest of my walking days. How do I get sanctified? I spend more time in his word. I spend more time letting him change me. And how does he change us? He comes in. Do you realize the power of having God living in you? He indwells you. And he changes who you are. And our example was back when we taught who we are in Christ. And we go, God baptizes us in his spirit. And because we're baptized in his spirit, he changes us. Just like the cucumber going into the, the, the vinegar becomes a pickle. The cucumber doesn't do anything except stay in the vinegar. Okay? That's all it does. How do we get changed into be more like God? We get submersed into God. And he endues us with his life and changes us. All we have to do is stay there. Stay there and watch him work his, work his change. And see how much power they have as I surrender my life to him. You know, I talk a lot about surrender. And I've had a lot of people ask me, well, how do you surrender? Well, let's see. If the police were outside saying, come out with your hands up, how would you surrender? You would come out with your hands up. <laughs> or you can say, no, I'm going to fight it out. I'm going to stay in here. Well, you can stay in there and lose. You know, this is what we do with our life. You know, and I hear so many people oftentimes, and many of our family members that are ask me, well, how do you surrender? Do it. Just do it. The thing I've learned over the years is the more I surrender, I go, every time I surrender, no matter how fast or short it is, I go, I should have done it faster, and it was so easy. I fight it and fight it and fight it and fight it and fight it, and finally I just surrender. And I get to the other side, and I go, man, that was so easy. All I had to do was give up. And if I'm doing it, I know everybody else is doing it. Fighting God, trying to figure out how to surrender. It actually is that we don't want to surrender. We don't like what's going on, but we don't want to surrender. Why? Because the flesh does not like to give up its, its power and its life. And we need to just learn to surrender to God quickly. I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning. I don't fight God as long as I used to. <coughs> my wife's laughing because we know this. You know, and I've shared with you, there was one, at least one thing in my life I fought for six years over. <laughs> Made life miserable for six years. <laughs> 
finally just, and literally, this is one event where I just said, God, I give up. <laughs> and I don't know that it was uh, physical or not, but I heard God say it's about time. Six years is a long time to fight God. Now, how much some people, though, where they will just fight God, they won't forgive somebody. There's people who haven't forgiven people for 20, 30 years. Their life is, their life is miserable. And God's saying, it's time to give up. Surrender this to me and I'll help you over it. God's power to change our life is tremendous if you will just surrender and let him do it. Because he's not going to come in. He gave us free will. He's not going to come in and say, well, I'm going to force you to do this. Now, having said that, he still kind of forces us to make life miserable. And we've shared with you, Paul, when he was uh, a Saul of Tarsus, when he knocked off the horse, wasn't being forced to accept Jesus. But when you've been knocked off your horse, blinded, and you heard the word of God, uh, nobody in their right mind would have said, no, I'm not going to serve you. (laughs) Now, Paul could have said no. God would have done something worse later on. So even saying that God doesn't make us, you know, Fighting God for six years, he progressively made my life worse and worse for six years until I was finally ready to say, God, I just give up. We want to be careful. How long, how long do you want to fight God on something he's trying to change in your life? I want to challenge you. If there's something in your life that you've been fighting God with, you're not unhappy with, go to him and give up. Say, God, I surrender this area of my life. Help me change this area. And that act of submission of of just surrendering will see great changes in your life. Be willing to change. But you know, it's only him that can change you. It's amazing how fast things, when you surrender to God, how fast things change. Have you ever had God do that to you? God, I'm tired of fighting this. I'm give up. And all of a sudden, minutes later, (laughs) it's gone. The bitterness, the anger, the frustration, the issues are gone the power of our God to change everything in your life. He can create the heavens and earth in no time at all. He can change anything going on in your life. Anything. Is there something you're struggling with? I hear people all the time, well, I just can't get rid of this sin. Well, quit trying to do it yourself. Let God come in and crucify it and give you something new. Each thing God has asked me to give up, it's been so wonderful because when I finally give it up, I don't miss it. Because he gives me, he gives me more of himself. You know, there was a song I remember in Sunday school. I want more of Jesus, more and more and more. I want more of Jesus than I ever had before. I want more of His great love, so rich, so full and free. I want more of Jesus, so I'll give Him more of me. You want more of God? You want to see your life be changed? Keep giving Him more of you. Yeah. And He'll give you more of Himself. And you'll be a Christian that everybody will say, well, now that's a Christian. <laughs> the worst testimony that you can have, you look at somebody and go, well, I don't know about that. You know, that guy says he's a Christian. Yeah. But listen to, listen to the words they say. Yeah. They're telling worst jokes that I would hear at the bar. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, they're the worst worker in the plant, and they tell me they're a Christian. I had a, I had a young man one time that worked for me who told me he was a Christian, and I'm going, okay, and he was one of my laziest workers I had. When he finally quit, I took him aside. I'm going, I, tell, I want you to do one thing for me when you go to your new job. And he goes, what's that? I go, don't tell anybody you're a Christian. And he goes, why? I go, because you're a terrible witness. Either start working and tell people you're a Christian or quit telling them you're a Christian. 
We need to be careful. Are we telling people Christian and live, that we're a Christian we're living in a lifestyle that says I'm not a Christian? If you're living in a lifestyle that's like the world, quit telling people you're a Christian. Because you're tearing apart the name, the name of Christ in front of people. If you're going to tell people you're a Christian, be a Christian to the best of your ability, which is letting God work through you. People need to see that you're different. They should be able to look at you and say, now that person's different. I don't know what's, don't know what's quite, quite different about them, and they're really weird, but I kind of like what I see. Yeah. When people come up to you and say, how do you stay calm when everything's going wrong? Why aren't you panicking when you, know, you just lost your job? How can you not panic about it? Well, God's in charge. He'll, he'll provide. He'll give me another job, better job. He'll provide if it needs it. You know, what do we do? How much trust do we put on God in our day-to-day life? We know how much trust the world puts in it. Drugs, alcohol, all kinds of sins to try to, to numb themselves, and they're not happy. You know, we think about this. You know, So many people that we look at in this world that are wealthy have influence. And the next thing you know, they're on drugs and, and lost their life, you know, lifestyle. And you're thinking, wow, they had everything I thought I wanted. Well, I want God. If God wants to give me the rest of it, that's good, that's, that's fine. But, you know, if, as long as I have God, I want to be like Paul. I've learned to be content with much or with little. And, you know, hard, probably easier to be content with little than much. When you've got much, you always seem to want more. At least that's been my experience. When I had much, I always wanted more. We want to be very careful about that, learning to be content with whatever we have. Whatever God's choosing to give us, learning to be content, because we've been translated into his kingdom. Do you realize that whatever we go through in this world is nothing? We get to go through hard times for 100, 120 years maybe. If you really live long, I guess the longest person to live was, you know, in recent days has been about 130 if God gave us nothing but trials for 130 years, what is 130 years compared to heaven? You know, 60 trillion years from now, you're not going to care about anything that happened on this world. You won't even think, probably won't even remember anything about this world. Keep in mind that whatever God chooses us to go through is nothing. And you know what? Whatever he allows us to go through, he knows that we are equipped to handle. And it goes back to what I keep telling you. We're going to keep having trials and changes in our life every day. And if you're going through really hard trials, praise God. He says that you're grown enough for me to give you these harder trials. And the sad news for us as Christians on this world is he's going to keep giving us hard trials until we die. And every time you pass a trial, he'll give you the next grade level trial to go through. And said, okay, you pass that one, let's take you to the, you know, you pass the sixth grade, let's go to the seventh grade. Oh, you passed twelfth grade, we're going to take you to college. <laughs> you, know, you, got your, you got your bachelor's, let's take you to your master's. <laughs> He's going to keep giving us more and more because he wants to prove himself through us. Because people look at you and they're going, wow, how can you go through? How can you go through those trials? And it's an amazing thing as we're going through, because we've been translated out of this kingdom into his kingdom. He is the one that gives us the power. He's the one that changes us. He's the one that equips us. All we need to do is surrender. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.
Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one that equips us, that you care and love us, love us so much. Lord, we ask that you be with each one of us. When we're feeling hard-pressed because of the problems, have, help us to turn to you. Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that we ask that they acknowledge that they're a sinner, that they need you because you paid that price, and that they ask for forgiveness and repent and ask you to come into their heart and that they will follow you and find a good church. Lord, we just thank you for each person here and ask that you will just give them strength to follow you in a mighty way. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.